All right. Well, good morning, River West Church. It's so great to be with you this morning. And the beautiful thing is that today you can actually say good morning back to me right there in the comment section, which honestly, that's the only polite thing to do. And actually, we can actually greet one another this morning. This is like the introvert's dream greeting time. You can greet each other from the comfort and the privacy of your own home. And so I encourage you to say hello to one another again. You can say amen today during the sermon in what I imagine will be the many profound moments of this message. And you can laugh at my jokes. So use that comment section. In just a little while here, I'm actually going to lead our church in a moment where we're going to lift up praises to King Jesus. We're going to flood that comment section with praises to King Jesus. I can't think of anything that YouTube needs more than a flood of praises to King Jesus. And so here's what we're doing. We're just continuing to try to find ways to make the best of this situation that we're in together. And this is one of those ways. We're going to continue River West. We're going to continue to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We're not going to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Amen. That's biblical. And so I'm really excited to be with you today. And I want to spur you on today by launching our church into a brand new series of teachings. I'm really excited about this. So would you grab your Bible, open in that Bible, and turn with me to the book of Daniel. That's where we're going to go today Daniel. You'll find Daniel in the Old Testament. It's kind of close to the New Testament, near the end of the Old Testament, right after the, the big prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Ezekiel, right before a lot of those minor prophets with really strange names. You'll find Daniel there. Uh, I found that most people are more familiar with the story of Daniel than they are of where to find Daniel in the Bible. And that's because Daniel is filled with all of these epic Tales, right? We know them. Tales about fiery furnaces and lion's dens and apocalyptic dreams. It's amazing. In fact, I found over the years that most people fall into two camps when it comes to what you think about when you hear the book of Daniel. The first camp is most of us think of an amazing adventure story with Daniel as the hero of that story, our hero to worship, that if we're like Daniel, if we do the right thing, and if we have enough faith, God will deliver us too from lions and furnaces. But here's the thing. If that's the point of Daniel, then God has some serious explaining to do. (laughs) Because the reality is, Daniel and his friends are exceptions, not the norm. In the history of our world, Daniel and his friends may be the only Christians who were saved from the lions, saved from the furnace. Most of the time when Christians end up thrown to the lions, they don't live to tell about it. So that's, that's one camp. The second camp are folks who view Daniel primarily as a prophecy manual 
to be used to create elaborate charts and timelines predicting the exact dates of the end of the world. And it's usually accompanied with arguing with other Christians, right? And that's because we've got this whole section of Daniel that's filled with these prophecies and they're amazing. But here's the thing. Every single time anyone has used the book of Daniel to try to predict the end of the world, they've been wrong, dead wrong, all right? So what if neither of these two camps has completely understood the purpose of the book of Daniel? What is the purpose of Daniel? Well, Daniel records the historical account of a group of Jews who found themselves ripped from their homes, from everything they knew, ripped from the temple. They were no longer able to gather together in community to practice their religion, to honor and worship God, to make sacrifices. They found themselves in a faraway land with foreign gods and foreign rulers who did not share their faith or their worldview, who radically limited their ability to practice their faith, they became the marginalized minority. And as one commentator wrote, though they were still religious, their modes of worship were increasingly relegated to those negotiated freedoms that could only be granted by those in power. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Sounds familiar to me. And the book of Daniel was recorded to encourage and equip God's people anytime they found themselves in a similar kind of exile. How do you find the courage and the wisdom to faithfully live for God in a world where you don't belong? Daniel found a way somehow. Daniel found a way in circumstances much more crazy, friends, much more crazy than the circumstances we find ourselves in. Daniel found a way to live with integrity, to live faithfully, to live powerfully. In fact, his life was so powerful that kings and peasants and massive swaths of Babylonian society turned in faith to the living God. And so, friends, I believe God has a word for River West Church in these days from the book of Daniel. We need help, don't we? We need wisdom. We need some guidance right now for how to remain faithful in what feels like a really fragile time for the church. And I believe the book of Daniel is where we're supposed to go. And so this morning, my goal is so simple. I just want to introduce you to this amazing book, this amazing story. Will you turn with me now? Daniel chapter one, verse one. Here's what happened. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that's, that's Israel, that's God's people. Judah was the southern kingdom. So Jehoiakim, he's the king. Judah, that's the people of Israel. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, this is the bad guy. This is the biggest, baddest ruler in all of the land at this time. And Babylon was the most opulent and daunting and impressive city in the entire world. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God and placed the vessels in the treasury 
of his God. So here's what's happening. Verses one and two are, there's two things happening in these opening verses. They they play out at two levels. The first level is at the level of history, and the second level is at the level of morality. The history is that about 605 years before the birth of Christ, Nebuchadnezzar swept through Egypt first. He whipped the Egyptians, totally conquered the Egyptians. His army was brutal and dominant. And then on his way home back to Babylon, he decided, hey, we'll just stop off for a day and we'll sack Jerusalem, right? It's on the way home. Why make a separate trip? We'll swing into Jerusalem, we'll sack Jerusalem. And then he came back home. That's the history. But of course, the the Christian knows There's something else going on here at the level of morality. And what's happening at the level of morality is that God, who has been so patient with his people, but he's warned them again and again and again through prophets, through scriptures, do not be stubborn, do not disobey. If you continue on unfaithfulness, I will eventually discipline you and send you into exile. And folks, this is that moment. This is that moment. The conquest of Judah happened in waves. This was just wave one, but then Nebuchadnezzar came back for several more waves. But in this first wave, he took a select group of captives with him back to Babylon, and Daniel is a part of that first wave. And and there's something that I want to tell you about Daniel that I bet none of you know. Daniel was a teenager. Did you know this? Daniel was a high school kid. Just think about that for a minute. He was probably 17 years old. And this really came home to me this week because my daughter, Bridget, celebrated her 17th birthday this week, okay? Complete with a drive-by parade of cars of all of her best friends with banners. And then they came into our backyard and they sat in a perfectly social (laughs) distanced circle and they wished her happy birthday. But think about this. Daniel and his friends, these are... These are, this is our, our youth group, all right? This is the kids in our youth group. So every time you're reading the book of Daniel and you see courage or you see wisdom or you see faithfulness, just think, this is our student ministry. This is Bridget and Sophia. This is Cade and Mason. This is Anna and Amelia. This is Buck, all right? Are you out there, Buck? I hope you're tuning in because I'm giving you props on YouTube. This is our students. Think about this, friends. Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem. He sacked Jerusalem and he took prisoners of war and they were high school kids. Imagine someone attacking the United States destroying all of our monuments, destroying our greatest buildings, taking our wealth, and then, as if that wasn't enough, taking prisoners of war, our high school kids. They had to walk 700 miles from Jerusalem to Babylon. What were they thinking on that trip where they'd been ripped away from their homeland? Get into the heart of this story, this is astounding. These were teenagers that are the main characters of our story. Incredible. What happened next? Verse three, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, 
both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths, there it is, teenagers, without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. In other words, these were the cream of the crop, the brightest, the most beautiful, all right? They were smart, they were attractive, they were charismatic, they were, they were affluent, they were of nobility. These were the kids we all hated in high school, all right? Where everything came naturally to them. And the reader's going, why would, why would Nebuchadnezzar do this? Why wouldn't you wipe out your enemy? Why take their brightest and bring them back to your land and feed them with your food and, and, and treat them kindly? Well, it's all part of a very calculated public relations campaign. And it's actually brilliant for evil. Look what it says next. They're competent to stand in the king's palace. And what was the purpose? The purpose was to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years. And at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. In other words, this was one big, massive Babylonian indoctrination. This was like a full Babylonian makeover. This is like the reality show, extreme Babylonian makeover, where they, where they ate like Babylonians, they dressed like Babylonians, and worst of all, they were indoctrinated to become fully complete Babylonians. And it's brilliant. The way to smother a foreign land is to brain drain their brightest, take them and turn them into true Babylonians. And often the king would send them back to wherever, home, wherever homeland they came from to campaign for the Babylonian cause. And friends, this is just a side note, but can I tell you something? Indoctrination is always the agenda of Babylon in every age indoctrination. And the reader's thinking, how will the faith of Abraham survive? And actually, it's about to get even worse. Look what happened next. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. Well, there it is. So I can think of five reasons why I think we need the book of Daniel right now. Five reasons. There's probably many. Today, I'm just going to do five. And actually, these five coincide with the main themes of the book of Daniel. So you'll want to write these down. Reason number one why I think right now, River West Church, we need the book of Daniel is this. Daniel highlights the precious doctrine of the sovereignty of God. It's precious. But he does it in the form of a story. 
So the sovereignty, we're not, we're not told about sovereignty through doctrinal statements or platitudes. We see the sovereignty of God through the powerful medium of story. And that allows us to apply this truth in our own context today. That's what makes Daniel so powerful is the story. The reader is saying, how could a kid from the youth group do what we see Daniel doing? How could a high school kid remain steadfast and composed? He didn't buckle. He didn't despair. His friends, they didn't turn on each other. They didn't fight with one another. How is this possible? And the answer is this, because Daniel knew something about God. And he didn't just know it as an idea. He didn't know it just as a hypothetical. Friends, listen to me. Daniel knew that God was in control. He knew it. This is what we mean when we talk about sovereignty. Sovereignty means God is in control, all right? Nothing can thwart God's purposes. Nothing can stop God's agenda. Nothing can prevent God's will from being done. God is in control of the people who think that they are in control. And let me tell you something, in our world, there's a lot of people who think they're in control. And it's always been this way. Kings think they're in control. Presidents think they're in control. Governors and mayors and other politicians, they think they're in control. CEOs of multinational corporations, they think they are in control, but they're not in control. Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was in control of what was happening in the world. But did you notice that little precious phrase? I bet you did. Right at the beginning of verse 2. In verse 1, it said, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. But then look at verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim into his hand. It was the Lord who did this. Nebuchadnezzar thought he was in control. Presidents think they're in control. Kings think they're in control. Governors, CEOs, but they're not in control. God is in control of the people who think they are in control. It was God who gave Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, the modern historians would have said that Judah fell because it was overpowered by the most dominant nation on earth, right? That's how historians would have interpreted what happened. The Babylonian media would have said that the Babylonian gods overpowered Yahweh, the God of Judah. But the text gives us the real explanation of why this happened and how this happened. God gave Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. And actually that phrase gets repeated over and over. Here's verse eight. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion Verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill. God's behind all this. God's at work. God is sovereign. My friends, God is in control of the big events of human history. Think about it. What is the worst thing that has ever happened in human history? the most tragic event, the the, the greatest injustice that has ever happened. What is it? The greatest, most tragic injustice that has ever 
happened is the humiliation and suffering and murder of the son of the living God. And how does the New Testament describe that good news? God gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. It's precious. God's sovereignty. And we're going to see it again and again and again. That's reason number one. Okay, here's reason number two, that we need Daniel. Daniel offers wisdom for how to remain faithful in exile. And that's what we need. We need wisdom right now. Okay, look, in the Bible, Babylonian exile becomes a metaphor for living in a world where you don't belong. We're out of place here. We're the minority here. We're surrounded by a culture and structures that don't share our values and our worldview. That's exile. Peter wrote a letter and he addressed it to Christians and he described, he described them as the elect exiles of the, of the dispersion. That's how the New Testament thinks of Christians. We're scattered. We are exiles. We don't belong in this world. And you know what? We need wisdom. How are we going to live faithfully here? In every age, the people of God always ask the same questions. What does faithfulness look like? God, how can we remain faithful in this world where we don't belong? How much of the foreign culture should we take on and embrace? How much of, a, of the surrounding narrative in the world should we adopt in our lives? How do we maintain our identity as the people of God when we're surrounded by by a foreign culture. This name-changing incident, I, I, I haven't talked about it yet, but it's really profound. We look back at your Bible. This is the ultimate example of the conundrum I'm trying to talk about. How to be faithful. Where do you draw the line? How do you know when enough is enough? It takes wisdom. So these four men had the most beautiful Hebrew names that were probably given to them by godly Hebrew parents. And the problem is, because we don't speak Hebrew, we miss what's going on here. So let me give you a breakdown. Look back at your Bible at verse 6, and I'll show you. Daniel, the name Daniel means God is my judge. It has the word El in it, which is, which is a shortened version of Elohim. Elohim, Daniel, God is my judge. His name was changed by Babylon to Belteshazzar, which means may Bel protect his life, with Bel being a reference to the Babylonian head god whose name was Marduk. There's a name. That sounds like the name you give to your bulldog, Marduk. Compare Marduk to Elohim. Elohim, Marduk. And, and, and his name was changed from Elohim to May Marduk protect his life. Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. But Shadrach means at the command of Aku, which was the moon god. Mishael means who is what El is, what Elohim is. And Meshach means who is what Aku is. Does it sound deliberate? It's because it is deliberate. Azariah means Yahweh has helped me. And Abednego means the servant of Nebu, Nebo, which was the Babylonian god 
of wisdom. All right, you're getting the point. Now you have to realize something. This was no innocent action. This was an overt attempt at social engineering. If you can wipe away all of the distinctiveness about my identity that tells me I belong to Yahweh, you can wipe away my identity as a God follower. This must have been an extremely difficult moment for Daniel and his friends. I'm almost positive they thought about protesting. I'm almost positive they were thinking, this is a violation of our religious liberty, right? And yet there's no mention of protest here. No mention. So we can only speculate. But that doesn't mean that Daniel never drew the line. In fact, in in the very next chapter we'll look at, Daniel does draw a line. And later on, there there are clear moments where Daniel and his friends say, we're not going to do this in Babylon. So here's my question. How do you know? How do you know where to draw the line? How do you know how to live faithfully in Babylon? Well, it takes some wisdom. And it's that wisdom that we're going to learn about in this study. But that actually leads me to the third reason why I think we need Daniel right now. Reason number three is this. Daniel shows us how to be a blessing in Babylon. I'm going to say that again because I want to make sure you heard what I just said. Daniel, the book of Daniel is going to show us how we're supposed to be a blessing in Babylon. We're not just supposed to survive Babylon. We're not supposed to avoid Babylon. We're actually supposed to be a blessing in Babylon. When the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and they carried off the Jews as exiles and they scattered them across the empire, many of those Jews revolted. They rose up in opposition. And then there was probably another group. A lot of the Jews just gave up and they, they just acclimated to Babylonian society. They became Babylonians. They took Babylonian gods. They worshiped like Babylonians. They just conformed to Babylonian culture. But what makes Daniel stand out is that he's going to show us those are not the only two options. In fact, commentators have noted, Daniel shows us a third way. It's not the way of fighting and constantly opposing and rebelling and rising up. And it's not the way of just conforming and giving up and acclimating to Babylonian culture. There's a third way. And it's described most beautifully by the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 29. These words will be on the screen so you can see it. Jeremiah 29, verse 1, and then verses 4 through 17. Here's here's how Jeremiah said it. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay, so this this is a letter specifically to Daniel and his friends and everyone else who's in Babylon. And what what does the Lord ask of them? Thus says the Lord of hosts, verse 4, the God of Israel to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Remember, God is sovereign. And what does he want from his people? Verse 5, build houses and live in them 
versus those houses that you build and you don't live in. But okay, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. And listen to this. I love this verse. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is astounding. God says, not only am I going to send you in an exile, but once you get there, do you know what I want you to do in exile? I want you to seek the welfare of the city and the people. I want you to pray for them. My goal, my purpose for my people in exile is that they would be a blessing while they're there. In every age that Christians have lived, in every community, in every society, God's purpose is that we would be a blessing. This is why, folks, our mission statement, River West Church, is we believe God's called us to build a community of Christ for the world. We're here to be a blessing. And we're going to see Daniel model this. Daniel, in, in, in the very next chapter, his heart is going to break for King Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to pray for Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel's going to step in and save the lives of the magicians and necromancers and, and wizards in, in Nebuchadnezzar's court. He probably should have wanted them dead, but he doesn't want them dead. Daniel's going to pray for them. He's going to step in and protect them. The dreams that Daniel interprets, the purpose of those dreams is that God has a message for the world through his people, a message of grace and the offer of salvation. Why? Because God wants to bring blessing to the world through his people, even when they're in exile. I love this. Here's why this matters. So this past week, I was on a webinar with the governor's office. I was on there with over 900 faith leaders from all over the community, and the governor's office was presenting ways to try to help the church get our heads wrapped around what's happening right now with coronavirus and and the phases that the state's going to go through to reopen. And lots of faith leaders are trying to figure out how do we meet, how do we continue to, to, to be a community of faith. It's interesting. I, I was thinking about the fact that I've spent my whole life as an Oregonian, and I need you to know something. There's not been one time in my entire life as an Oregonian that I've ever gone to the governor's webpage, not once. But in the last two weeks, I go there every single day to get updates. That tells you how crazy the times are that we're living in. But there I am with 900 faith leaders, and we're trying to figure out what this looks like. And then I got off that webinar and I immediately got on a Zoom call with about 25 senior pastors from churches all over the Metroplex. And these are the churches, River West, that our church has been in cahoots with over the years on mission together. We're talking about Willamette Christian Church. We're talking about Grace Chapel. We're talking about Imago Day, Bridgetown, Village Baptist. All of these senior pastors on a call together and we were unanimous. Now is the time to be a blessing to our city. Now is the time to support our leaders, to help them, to comply, to try to beat this virus. Now is the time to support and be a blessing. 
You say, but wait a minute, will there ever come a time where we, where, we have to, where we have to rebel? Sure, there could come a time where we have to rebel or not comply, but this is not that time. Now is the time for the church to shine with the wisdom and the humility and the grace of Christ. And the way we want to do that is by being a blessing in our city. Pray for our city. How would you know? Well, we need wisdom. And so thank you for praying for us. We're going to keep seeking God and seeking how we can be a blessing. All right? Just two more, and these ones are going to go really fast because we're going to develop them in our series. Here's reason number four we need Daniel. Daniel is going to lift our eyes to see the unstoppable nature of God's kingdom. Here's another way I can say it. No human kingdom can ever stop the spread of God's kingdom. Amen? No human kingdom can ever stop the spread of God's kingdom. In the history of the world, there have been many cataclysmic events that have threatened the very existence of the church. And I guarantee you that at certain points in human history, when those cataclysmic events happened, the people of God probably found themselves wondering, how is the church going to survive this? How, how is the church going to make it through this? And I'll be honest with you, River West, I found myself thinking that in my darker moments. I found myself, when, when, I, when I lose my bearings, thinking, this is, how is the church going to make it through this? You know, this has been, even for me, this has been a very, this is an emotional roller coaster. Half the time, I don't even remember what day it is, okay? And I have swings. Sometimes I'm really encouraged, and sometimes I'm, I'm really discouraged, and I find myself thinking, God, can the church make it through what's happening right now in our world? This feels like such a threat. But think about this. Somehow, God's church always marches on. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But God's church and God's kingdom, it can never be stopped. And this theme, it's like a scarlet thread that gets woven through the entire story of Daniel from chapter one to to the very last chapter, the kings and kingdoms. You're going to see it over and over. Nebuchadnezzar is going to have these crazy dreams of these beasts that rise up out of the sea. And Daniel's going to tell him, you know what each of those beasts are? They're just different kingdoms. Each one scarier than the next. But I promise you, he's going to say, one day God's going to set up a kingdom that will never come to an end. And all the visions from chapter 7 on, they're all about this theme of God's eternal, unstoppable kingdom. We're going to study it together. So that's reason number four. And then finally, and this is my favorite one, and this is where we have to close. Here's reason number five, River West Church, that I believe we need the book of Daniel right now. Daniel constantly points forward to Jesus. Constantly. Which is not surprising. The whole Bible is about Jesus. And Daniel is no exception. And here's what we're going to find as we study Daniel. The book of Daniel is actually not about Daniel. It's about Jesus. It's about grace. It's about the gospel. Daniel's not the hero of this story. Daniel couldn't do anything if he wasn't being empowered by Christ. 
by the Spirit of Christ, his wisdom, his courage, his insight, his ability to interpret dreams, his understanding of when to draw a line and when to bless, when to comply and when to rebel, all of that he got from the Spirit of Jesus Christ who was in him. And we're going to see Jesus over and over and over as we study this book. We're going to see Jesus in the fourth man in the furnace who appears like a son of the gods. This is the pre-incarnate Christ who shows up in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're going to see Jesus in this son of man who comes on the clouds in chapter 7. We're going to see Jesus in every prophecy from chapters 8 through 12. Every one of them finds their yes in Christ. Jesus Christ is God's answer to every promise in the book of Daniel. Even Daniel himself, he's a type of Christ. You know what that means? It means even the character Daniel is pointing the reader forward to the truly courageous one, the truly faithful one that we most need. Daniel's flawed. Daniel's a human. We all know we need a leader. We need a king who's actually perfectly courageous, perfectly faithful, perfectly wise. That person is Jesus Christ. And you know what, friends? If you love Jesus, and if you've put your hope in Jesus, Christ, he's in you, and you belong to him. And you have access to all of his resources. You have access to his Holy Spirit. You have access to his grace, his power, his wisdom. Why? so that you can live faithfully in these fragile times. Isn't that what we need right now, River West? I'm gonna pray about that. Will you bow your heads and let's thank God for the book of Daniel together. Heavenly Father, how we thank you for this time together. How we thank you for this amazing book recorded for us, elect exiles who have been dispersed throughout the world. And here we are, River West Church, this tiny pocket, a minority of people who love King Jesus. And what do we most long for? God, we long for the wisdom to live faithfully while we're here, to pray for the well-being of our city, to be a blessing, to shine brightly for Christ. Would you help us? Would you teach us? Would you bless our church as we study this precious book together over the coming weeks and months, we pray. And we ask it together in Jesus' name. We love you, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. I want you to give this week. Give online like you have been doing. Thanks for your generosity. Will you keep giving? You can follow the directions and the happenings to give. And uh, stick around after this. There's some questions for reflection. They're going to pop up and grab people there in your living room and process what you've heard. But finally, what we're going to do is we're going to worship. The song that we've chosen is the perfect song that captures all of the themes of Daniel. It's a song about King Jesus. And here's what I want you to do. As you sing this song and as you worship Jesus, I just want you to flood those comment sections with praises to King Jesus. Let your heart exult in Christ and share it with the world. God bless you, River West. Love you. See you next Sunday at 10 a.m.